Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Glory to God. I want you to turn with me. Uh, Let's see where I want to have you to turn to start with. Turn with me over to Ephesians, the sixth chapter. Ephesians chapter six. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Aren't you thrilled with the word of God? Amen. I tell you, the word of God thrills me. Amen. Because I know when when I open the word, it's not just ink and paper and leather and ribbons and and gold edges. Amen, this is, the Bible says that his word is inspired of God. It literally says it's God breathed. Whoo, glory. We hold in our hands a copy of what God breathed out for us. This is his letter, his open book intended for us. Glory to God, that's good news. Amen. Glory to God. So we ought to be thrilled with the word. It ought to be important to us. Amen. Praise the Lord. A couple of weeks ago, I I talked to, I introduced this subject. We were actually on a different subject and we uh, sort of uh, sneaked up on this one. And a couple of weeks ago, I talked to you about the fact that there is warfare going on in the spirit realm and what we and that we need to be aware of it because there's a part that we play in what's going on in the realm of the spirit. And in Ephesians chapter 6, the apostle Paul made reference to this. And uh, let's begin in verse number 10. He said, "Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might." Notice he didn't say be strong in yourself. He or he didn't say be strong in religion. He didn't say be strong in politics. He said be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That word wiles there means strategies, tricks and uh, strategies that the enemy brings. The enemy is always plotting against you. Ooh, isn't that encouraging to hear? It, 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 it might not sound encouraging, but it's not the least bit discouraging when you understand that you're in the Lord. When you're strong in the Lord and the power of his might, then all you have to do is to be alert to the enemy's strategies, and then you know how to not fall into them. You know how to overcome in every trial and every test and every stratagem that the devil tries to bring against you. He said, put on the whole armor of God. We have to put on the armor if we're gonna stand against these strategies. And thank God the armor of God fits you perfectly. Amen. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the We're supposed to stand against him not just fall down and let him do anything he wants to do. Too many people believe, well, just whatever comes in life must be the will of God. Those people are defeated continually. You have to know the enemy is constantly plotting against you. And so when things happen in life, when things happen to you, circumstances start uh, evolving around you and developing around you, you should always be looking and say, now, is this according to the word of God? Does this, what's happening, does this conform to the New Testament, to the word of God? And if it doesn't, you should resist it. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So he said, uh, put on the whole armor of God that you might stand against the wiles of the devil. And then verse 12, and this is really the verse I wanna focus on. He said, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. I think the older King James says in that last part, uh, wicked spirit and spirits in the heavenlies, in the high places, in the high places. I like the New King James rendering a little better. I think it makes it a little simpler. It says the the that we wrestle against uh, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
Last week we were talking about the fact that there are evil spirits in the world. To unbelievers and unfortunately to a lot of Christians, the very idea of evil spirits literally existing, you know, on, uh, in the earth and on the earth uh, is, is somewhat fanatical. And to a lot of people, even the idea of, a, of an actual literal devil is fanatical. But both of those concepts are solidly biblical and they're absolutely true. There is a devil and there are evil spirits because if there weren't, who in the world was Jesus talking to? When the, when the madman of Gadara, uh, those evil spirits began to talk and he began to talk back to who was, who was talking? No, the Bible says that he went through, Jesus went, out, went throughout all Galilee, healing the sick and casting out demons. Now don't get nervous. This is just standard Christianity. It's not weird. It shouldn't be considered weird. It is basic biblical New Testament Christianity. And so we talked about the fact that this world is infested, the earth is infested with these evil spirits. We talked a little bit last Sunday morning and then into last Sunday night about the origin of these evil spirits and what they're doing here and why Jesus, for instance, when he cast the evil spirits out of people, why didn't he cast them back into hell? You know, he, if he could have, he would have. And he didn't, it would indicate that he couldn't. That it, because remember the evil spirit said to him at one point, are you here to torment us, quote unquote, before the time? That would suggest there's a time for that to take place, but it wasn't time yet. And it's still not time. They're still here. Amen. So we, we talked about that. Uh, and we talked about the fact that there are different degrees of evil spirits. We talked about here in this verse that it talks about principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age and spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places or in the, I like to say in the heavenlies. And you'll understand this a little better as we go through this, why I say it this way. These represent different levels uh, or ranks of evil spirits, wicked spirits. He starts at the weakest of, the, of, the, of those and goes to the strongest or to the least category goes to the greatest category. The strongest of these evil spirits are the wicked spirits in the heavenly places. And then below that are the rulers of the darkness of this world or of this age. And then there's the powers and then the principalities. And each of these uh, classes of evil spirits, they tell the other ones under them what to do. There's a hierarchy there is a, a level of authority in Satan's kingdom just like there is in God's kingdom. And so when we know these things, then it helps us. Notice though, uh, he talked about uh, the wicked spirits in the heavenlies or in the heavenly places. You'll notice if you're reading from a new King James, the word places is in, italics, in italics here. That means it's not in the original text. And so it's, Wicked spirits in the heavenly, and that word heavenly is actually plural, and that's why they put heavenly place is. I like to say in the heavenlies, because that's exactly the way the original Greek reads. It says wicked spirits in the heavenlies. Uh, we talked also about, a couple of weeks ago, and we'll, we want to go back to this, that, uh, well, before we do that, when it, when it talks about the heavenlies, notice, let me, let me say this, notice that the word heavenlies is plural. Now in the King James it says heavenly place is and places is plural. Uh, and so you need to understand that the Bible in the New Testament refers to three heavens. Most Christians only think of one heaven. They think of heaven being where God is but the New Testament refers to three heavens. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So, well, I never heard that before. Well, you probably when you read the New Testament just weren't paying attention. Amen. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Notice I didn't say you didn't read the New Testament. I just said maybe you weren't paying attention. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number one. Of course, Paul is writing about an experience in his own life. He said, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago whether in the body, I do not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know, God knows. Such a one 
was called up to the third heaven. Now, most Bible commentators are in agreement, and I am too, that Paul was talking about himself when he said, I know a man in Christ. He was actually referring to himself that he was called away. He, he said, I don't know if this experience happened if, whether I was in the body or out of the body. But I was called up, he said, such a one was called up to the third heaven. Well, now that tells us right away there are three heavens because if there, if there weren't three heavens, then he wouldn't have identified the third heaven. You know, there's a reason I don't refer to my wife as my third wife. <laughs> When you hear, you know, you ever talk to somebody, well, I met so-and-so, well, you know, that's so-and-so's third wife. Well, you immediately know that he's had two other wives before, isn't that right? <laughs> so when Paul said, I was called up to the third heaven, immediately that tells you that there are, there are two other heavens. Amen. Well, what are these other two heavens? Well, first of all, the Bible talks about the heavens which are, uh, which is composed of the atmosphere around us the air where we, where we breathe. The Bible talks about the birds who fly through the heavens and on the face of the heavens. So there is the atmospheric heavens around us where there is oxygen and that's the first heaven. Go over, me, go over with me then. Hold your place here because we'll come back, I think. Go, go over with me to Ephesians 2. <clears throat> Verse one says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Did you see that? He said that you, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So the air and the atmosphere is where, uh, is, is the first heavens, and this first heavens is a place that is, uh, like I said earlier, infested with evil spirits. Notice our, our other text, go over, to, go, you're here in Ephesians, going over a page to the sixth chapter again. Notice in the sixth chapter, verse 12, it says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. In other words, you're the person in the pews, not your, your enemy. <laughs> we, don't, we don't fight one another. Right. Amen, shouldn't, Amen. He said, we, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. The prince of the power of the air, it talked about in, the cha in chapter two. The spirit that now works in, in the unsaved. Rulers of the darkness of this age. That simply means that unsaved people, all unsaved people, are ruled by some degree or another, and it's varying degrees. But all unsaved people are, to some degree, ruled by the devil. Now, that might sound really mean to say, but you know, when you're talking Bible truths, you just preach what the Bible says. It's not mean, it's the truth. All unsaved people are ruled by the rulers of the darkness of this world. Hold your place here and go over to the fifth chapter of 1 John. 1 John chapter five. Go to, to, to the last uh, few verses of, of the fifth chapter. Verse 19 says, we know that we are of God. He's talking to Christians, to believers, to the church. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. In, you don't have to turn there, but in 2 Corinthians chapter four, the apostle Paul said, the God of this world, that's talking about the devil, has blinded the eyes of those who do not believe lest they see the light and come to the light. That's why you can, you can share uh, Christianity and a testimony, and even live a life of victory and live a, a Christ-like life, and it seemed to have no effect on certain people. And you try to tell them about God, and they'll just basically cuss you out. They don't want anything to do. And, and sometimes you, oh, how in the world can somebody be that blinded? It's because the God of this world has blinded them. 
We need to pray for people like that because the blindness isn't just going to go away unless somebody prays for them. And so every unsaved person is blinded by the devil and they are under the sway of the wicked because John said, we just read it, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So all unsaved people, your mama, your daddy, your grandpa, your grandma, your aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters, you know, if, if they're unsaved, you, you, this might not be real encouraging to you, but it, we have to find out what's going on before we'll ever learn how to, how to do something about it. Your, your unsaved relatives, you need to understand that they're under, to some degree to another, they're under the dominion of darkness. They're in the kingdom of darkness because they're unsaved. What did... What did Paul say in the first part of, of Ephesians, or excuse me, in Colossians, about when we're saved, he said you, we, we were translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son. Well, if you're in the kingdom of God's dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're, you're, if you're in his kingdom, you're under your rulership. If you are a native of Great Britain, then you are under the rulership of that kingdom. If you are in Saudi Arabia, if you're a citizen of Saudi Arabia, you are under the royal kingdom of Saudi Arabia. You're a subject. Well, we are now, we've been translated into the kingdom of his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're under his authority. Next time the devil says something to you, I don't care what it is. If it's a suggestion, a temptation, a bad thought, just stop and remind it. Wait a minute, you know I'm under the authority of the Lord Jesus. Just want to remind you, devil, I'm under his authority, not your authority. I don't have to think your thoughts. I don't have to do your deeds. I don't have to act like you're trying to make me feel like I want to act. Amen. Yeah. Well, we were translated out of the kingdom of darkness. Well, all of us were in the kingdom of darkness. Well, if you're in the kingdom of darkness, you're subject to that kingdom and you're subject to the rulership there. That's why Paul talked about the rulers of the darkness of this world. We need to know that because I tell you, church, Jesus is coming back soon. We don't need to have this kind of lethargic, you know, I don't care attitude, blase attitude like we have all the time in the world. Your unsaved relatives need to be saved. Your friends need to be born again. Something needs to be done because they're on their way to an eternity without God. And that ought to shake all of us up. Amen. And we can do something about that. We can have an effect on the degree of, of uh, dominion that evil spirits have in our loved one's lives because we have authority through Christ to, to, to speak and to bind and to loose certain things. Now, we don't have ultimate authority because the ultimate authority in your loved one's lives rests with them. God has given each person on this planet the freedom to choose. It's called the free will. And even God won't violate that, so we can't violate it. But we can pray and bring God's power and God's influence into the lives of our loved ones. And we need to realize what we're, what we're dealing with. We're not dealing with just a natural inclination. It, well, they just don't get it. Well, you might not get trigonometry, but that's not a spiritual thing. That's just a natural thing. You just don't get it. People that don't get Christ, it couldn't be any simpler. Little like Angela said today, you know, you have six-year-olds in church with their hands raised worshiping God. Anybody can get it. Well, why don't they? It's a spiritual thing. And we need to know how to deal with it. But that's not the subject of my message. So the first heaven is the atmospheric heavens. There must be a first heaven if there's a third heaven. The first heavens, the Bible refers to the heavens where the birds fly, and this is the realm where evil spirits operate. This is the abode of principalities, powers, and the rulers of the darkness of this age. The second heaven would be the stellar heavens, out beyond the atmospheric grasp of this earth, out beyond the gravity of this earth. When you get outside the gravitational uh, uh, covering of this earth and out beyond our atmosphere, you get out into what's called outer space. And it is an incomprehensible, vast thing we're talking about. 
And so this is the second heaven. And I believe that I have uh, good support and, and good foundation for believing that this second heaven is where these wicked spirits in the heavenlies operate. Even though the first heavens would be technically the heavens, but in the second heaven, I believe this is where these, uh, this, this fourth class, this greatest class of these evil spirits, uh, they inhabit the, the heavenlies. And then, of course, the third heaven would be where Paul was called up to. If you go back to, we don't want to turn there, but, but take my word for it. If you go back to it, he said, I was called up to the third heaven. And he said, into paradise. He was called up to the throne of God. The heaven where God is, say, where is it? I don't know. But it's beyond the second heaven. It's out beyond that somewhere. You know, I never have, I'll get, boy, so easy to get on rabbit trails. I never have been able to understand the, the atheist idea that nothing created something. And, and you notice that the atheist always wants to appeal to science, scientific fact. We know this. Well, what scientific fact is there where something comes from nothing, where there's absolutely nothing and it causes something? That, that is a scientific physical, scientific impossibility. I, this one friend I was, I was talking uh, uh, to uh, about this and he, he's an agnostic and he said, I, I know that doesn't make any sense. He said, I just have to believe that there's something out there in the realm of science that we don't know yet. I said, yeah, it's God. <laughs> that, I'm telling you the hidden principle behind this. God created it. Anyway. Heaven's out beyond, the heaven where God is is out beyond the, the third, the second heavens. And like I said, this is paradise. This is where Christians go when they leave this life. Believers, those who've been washed in the precious blood of Jesus and have believed on him or born again, when they die, they go to the third heavens, to the, up to the throne of God. Oh, the Bible refers to it as the glory world. Ooh, never feel bad for a Christian who dies and goes to be with the Lord. It might not have been a good time for our sake, you know, and those people that are left behind, but in, for their sakes and, and on their behalf, ooh, they're in the glory. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. Isn't that good news? Amen. Now, I want you to go with me to Ezekiel 28. We looked at this chapter a couple of weeks ago, and I want us to go back and look at it again. It's in the Old Testament, of course, Ezekiel 28. And... You need to understand that there is a double kingdom ruling over the affairs of man. A double, there is a double kingdom ruling over the affairs of man. And what I'm referring to is there is a, a wicked kingdom ruling in the heavenlies. And these unseen spiritual forces or rulers in the heavenlies influence, rule, and dominate men who rule earthly kingdoms if, if people allow it. We know that there are very powerful people in the world. You and I are not particularly in that class. There, are, there is the ruling class. There are those who are rulers over nations and so forth and over kingdoms. Well, they rule, but there is a ruling hierarchy in the spirit realm that is always attempting to influence the, the influencers. They're always attempting to influence and dominate and control those who have the greatest influence over men. And those who have the greatest influence are the rulers. Would you agree? In Ezekiel, the 28th chapter, let's start in the middle of the chapter. We've read this before, but it'll, it'll bear repeating. Verse number 11, the Lord gave a, a word to the, to the prophet Ezekiel. He said, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you are the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, uh, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. 
The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. So now right away, you know this isn't talking about an earthly ruler because he says you are the anointed cherub who covers. Even though he said take up this lamentation for the king of Tyre, Tyre was a a city nation, and he said take up this lamentation for the king of Tyre. You notice in verse 13, he says you were in Eden, the garden of God. Well, this couldn't refer to the actual physical ruler over Tyre at the time because he wasn't even around when Eden was around. So this is actually talking about the devil himself, talking about at that that time his name was Lucifer, and this is talking about what happened to him and how he fell. Let's pick up again in the 14th verse. You You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. This is the second time he refers to him as a created being. Till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Remember, Jesus made the statement in Luke chapter 10. He said, oh yes, I beheld Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's when God cast him out. So this is talking about the devil and of course the devil is a wicked spirit. He operates in the heavenlies. And he says, take up this lamentation for the king, calls him the king of, uh, of Tyre. Now go back to the first verse of this chapter. Yeah, chapter 28, verse number one. I started with the, uh, the, the, the 11th verse first, but I wanna go back now to verse one. The word of the Lord came to me again saying, son of man, say to the prince of Tyre. Now notice the second one we just read was, was addressed to the king of Tyre who was really the devil. But he said, take up this saying and say to the prince of Tyre, thus says the Lord God, because your heart is lifted up and you say, I am a God, I sit in the seat of gods in the midst of the seas. The Lord said, yet you are a man and not a God, though you set your heart as the heart of a God. So this is talking about a man. This is talking about a human being. This was the earthly ruler over the city nation of Tyre, okay? This was an earthly ruler. But notice, he had a lot of the same characteristics of the devil. His attitude and his thoughts sound a whole lot like the devil. He he has the same God complex that the devil had. You say, I am a God. Well, that's what God said. He said, that's what the devil said. He said, I, we, we read this over in, in uh, was it here? Or was, I think it was over in Isaiah. I will exalt my throne, Isaiah 14. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I'll be like the most high God, Lucifer said. Well, where did, where did this prince of Tyre get this? He got it from the devil because he was being influenced by the king of Tyre, this wicked spirit that operated over him. It was affecting him and the administration of his kingdom. You say in your heart, I am a God, verse number uh, two. I sit in the seat of God. Uh, Yet you are a man, not a God, though you set your heart as the heart of a God. Behold, you are wiser than Daniel. A little sarcasm there. Behold, you are wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that can be hidden from you. With your wisdom and your understanding, you have gained riches for yourself and gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom in trade, you have increased your riches and your heart is lifted up because of your riches. Sounds just like what we read about the devil. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have set your heart as the heart of God, behold, therefore, I will bring strangers against you, the most terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. They shall throw you down into the pit And you shall die the death of the slain in the midst of the seas. Will you still say before him who slays you, I am a God? But you shall be a man and not a God in the hand of him who slays you. You shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of aliens for for I have spoken, says the Lord God. So God pronounced judgment upon this wicked ruler. The thing I want you to see is there was an earthly kingdom of Tyre and there was a prince over. We would say probably the king. 
He calls him here the prince. He was the ruler, the earthly ruler. But notice in the heavenly realm, there was a wicked spirit. In this case, it was the devil himself. It's not always Satan himself. Sometimes it's other spirits. But in this case, it was the devil himself. And he was actually the one ruling Tyre through this ungodly prince or king. Can you see that? So that, so that the, the attitudes, the characteristics and the motivations of the devil was being worked out over that nation. It was affecting that nation. Well, you know if you have a, you know if you have a, a, a nation with a ruler like this, it's going to affect everything about the nation. It's not going to go good with that nation spiritually. Isn't that right? Now, go with me over to Daniel, and this is where we first picked up this idea. Daniel, the 10th chapter, and let's look at it again. We'll see another example of this. Daniel chapter 10. You remember Daniel had been praying for three weeks. He had been fasting and seeking God's wisdom for 21 days. And on the 21st day, this angel was dispatched to him to bring him the answer. And he said, verse, we'll start in verse number 12. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel. This is Daniel 10, verse 12. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come because of your words. That, that, that's encouraging to, to know that when you pray about anything, God hears you and he sends the answer right then. Amen. Now, it might not materialize as we say. In other words, it might not come into full physical manifestation where you can feel it and touch it and have it in your hand and know and everything. You might not have everything you're praying for out here in the seen realm, but when you ask in faith according to his will, 1 John 1, 5 says he hears us. If you ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we know he hears us. Whatever we ask, we know we have the petitions we've asked him. Isn't that right? So we know we have it, but it's a matter of standing in faith. It's a good thing Daniel understood faith because if he had been like a lot of persons, he'd have, stood, he'd have fasted for about two days and said, you know, fit with this. I'll, I'll, I'm gonna get me a hamburger. I'm gonna stop by Taco Bell, you know. Isn't that right? Enough of this fasting. I mean, I prayed and God's not doing anything. I'm moving on. No, 21 days he was, he was in this. And on the 21st day, this angel got through. But he, he explained what held him up. Verse number 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left alone there with him. Or excuse me. For I had been left uh, alone there with the kings of Persia. Notice that this angel is talking to Daniel. And he said, 21 days ago, when you first set your heart and, and, and uh, uh, chastened yourself by the Lord and began to seek the Lord, he said, the Lord sent me and I came with your, an with your answer, an with, your an with your answer, I'll get this right. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. Now that could not have been an earthly prince. That couldn't have been because this is an angel has been sent from God with the answer. So there had to be some, some interference in the spirit world, in, in these wicked spirits in the heavenlies. Now, I, I'm assuming that this was an angel because he said, he calls him a prince, and then he says, but, but behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. Now, we know from the New Testament, Jude, chapter, uh, uh, Jude, Jude verse number nine, that Michael is an archangel. Isn't that right? So Michael is one of the archangels and he was sent to help this other angel to release him from this combat with the prince of, of Persia so he could get to da Daniel was in the kingdom of Persia at the time. They was a, the, the reign of Persia had started. The Babylonian empire was over and now the Mede-Persian empire had begun. And so there was a prince, in other words, a ruling spirit in the heavenlies influencing the, the king of, of Persia. And so this is just again another example and shows us again uh, how this operates. Now drop down to verse number 20. He said, then he said, do you not know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed the prince of Greece will, Greece will come. The, the, the Persian Empire was succeeded by the Grecian Empire. And so there was a prince 
over the, uh, an ungodly, wicked spirit called the Prince of Persia. Well, when the Persian Empire would pass away and the Grecian Empire would come, then there would be these ungodly spirits that would operate against the Grecian Empire. Again, the point is that in, in the realm of the earth and the kingdoms of men, it still exists today that there are wicked spirits in the heavenlies who attempt to, to oversee and to cause trouble among men. And one of the most fundamentals or, or one of the most powerful ways they do this is by influencing leaders in government. That's why we have to pray for those who are in authority. This is why right here. If we don't pray, we leave them, we leave them powerless unless they know how to resist. And a lot of times they don't. A lot of times the, un, a lot of times the rulers of nations are unsaved. They don't know God. To a degree, they are already in the kingdom of, of darkness. Well, they are, but to a degree, they are being controlled by principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. If they weren't, they'd give their hearts to the Lord Jesus too. Well, in matters of ruling over kingdoms, there are these high-ranking, foul, wicked demon spirits or, or fallen angels. I'm not sure what they are up there in that, in that realm, which class they're in, but I believe it's, the, it's those, those wicked spirits in the heavenlies that influence leaders. That's important to know. Amen. There is, notice again, uh, go back to, before we leave this, go back to Daniel and look at chapter 10 again, going into chapter 11. In verse 21, he says, but I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these, notice that's plural, except Michael, your prince. Also in the first year of, uh, of Darius, the Mede, I, even I, stood up to confirm and strengthen him. Now, Darius was one of the kings uh, in, the, in the Persian Empire that Daniel was under. And he goes on in verse two, he says, now I tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings will arise in Persia. Now, these are the natural earthly kings. Three more kings will arise in Persia and the fourth shall be far richer than them all by his strength through his riches he will stir up all against the realm of Greece. Most Bible historians and even natural historians uh, believe he was talking about Alexander the Great here. That's who he was referring to as this fourth king over, over uh, the Grecian Empire. The point I want to make is there is an ongoing warfare. I'll say that again. There is an ongoing warfare. Well, if it's ongoing then our praying needs to be ongoing. If this is going on, the enemy is always attempting to thwart the plan of God for every nation. The devil wants to stop the plan of God for the United States. He wants to hinder it. He wants to turn the United States against God against the Bible, against godliness, against all things holy and right. And he wants America to embrace sinfulness and, and, and uh, uh, perversions of every kind and, and go as far away from God as we can go. So there, there, there are in the heavenly realms these spirits that are always trying to influence our leaders when we elect people, it doesn't matter whether your, your man was elected or, or not. Our leaders are being assaulted daily and, and, and there's pressure trying to come against them in the spirit realm. And it wouldn't be any different if your guy got elected or your gal in this, in this instance. It wouldn't, matter, it wouldn't make any difference whether Hillary was elected or, or, or Donald Trump was elected. The same thing would be happening. And so we cannot relax as Christians. We cannot relax our, our standing against them. That's why the apostle said that we need to arm ourselves, take up the weapons of our warfare because our, our, our fight is not with flesh and blood, but our fight is against principalities, powers, and rulers of the darkness of this world and wicked spirits in the heavenly places. Now go with me over to, you're in, the, you're in Daniel 11, go on over to chapter 
Uh, are you in, no, you're in 10. Which one did you go to, 11? Yeah, go on over to chapter 12. Look at chapter 12 and verse number one. At that time, Michael... Now, at what time? We don't have time to get all the background here. If you go through the rest of this chapter, and you can do so later if you want to, the rest of this chapter has to do with what we call the Great Tribulation. There is a time after the catching away of the church, after the rapture of the church, the world will experience and go through a time that's described in the Bible as Great Tribulation. There will be a time of unprecedented evil on the earth. And it will last seven years And at the end of that seven-year period, the Lord Jesus will return, this time not just in the clouds to catch away the church, but he will actually return to the earth in person and set up his rule and his reign in this earth as the son of David. That's coming to pass. When Jesus returns, he will first of all destroy all of the nations that are gathered against Israel. And he will judge Israel for their unbelief and believing Israel, those who have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ will be welcomed into the kingdom. And he will also judge the Gentile nations that are on the earth. When I say the nations, not just as nations, but the people, the individuals in those nations. And they will either be considered sheep or goats. We won't go into all of that today. But he's gonna judge the individual people who are on the earth at the end of the tribulation and the judgment's gonna have to do with how they treated Israel. But let's start with this idea. At that time, the time I'm talking about, Michael shall stand up. That You know what it means to stand up? That means take your place. At that time, Michael will stand up. That great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. This tells me that Michael the archangel has as one of his chief assignments, one of his primary functions as an archangel is especially the defense of the nation Israel. One of the highest, in fact, he is the only angel that's referred to as an archangel in the Bible. What does arch mean? That means the top. Isn't that right? It's an archangel. Now we assume that Gabriel is, he's another angel who is named. We assume that he is also an archangel, but he's not called one. Gabriel, it seems, is, is an archangel who has been assigned to bring messages to God's people. And remember, it was Gabriel that, that brought the, the message of, of, of Christ to the Virgin Mary. Said, you know, behold, the, the, the power of the holiest, most God will overshadow you and so forth. And that holy one that will be born of you shall be called the son of God. That was Gabriel. Gabriel is seen throughout the Bible bringing very important messages to God's people. Michael is, a, is an archangel, one of, the, one of the only two that we know of, if indeed Gabriel is one. He's one of the only two in this rank, and it's the highest rank in the heavens, in God's realm, underneath God, of course, and you know. But he, his job is to stand watch over the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. Now, as Christians, we need to know that. God has a particular prophetic plan for the nation of Israel. Even though the nation of Israel officially rejected the Lord Jesus Christ when he was here in the flesh. Even though their leaders betrayed him and had him crucified and said, let his blood be upon our hands. And even though they have opposed the preaching of the gospel historically, God still has a plan for the nation of Israel because they are the physical seed of Abraham. Believers, Christians, we are the spiritual seed of Abraham. And that's no insignificant thing. But there still remains a natural or a, or, a, or a physical seed of Abraham and there is yet a plan. Go with me to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. Verse number one. Romans 11, one. I say then, has God cast away his people? Talking about Israel? Certainly not. For I also, Paul said, I also am an Israelite 
of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Drop down to verse number five. Even so then at this present time, there is a remnant according to the, to the election of grace. That's a, a remnant of, of Jewish people. If you go on down to verse number 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Did you know that God sent the, the salvation message to the Gentiles in order to provoke Israel to jealousy? There's coming the day, the day when Israel and Jewish people, and it's gonna happen during the tribulation when they're gonna realize, oh my goodness, what God has done for the Gentiles and the church who has now been called away from here and we missed it. And they're gonna become very envious and very, they're gonna want what you have. Amen. He said, but through their fall, Israel's fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now if their fall is the riches for the world, is riches for the world, and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? Let's see how far I want to read in this. Uh, go on over to, go down to verse 25. For I do not desire, brethren that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinions. Now, now listen carefully. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have, has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion. He will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, he's talking to the church. He said, concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. You know, they were terribly persecuted by the Jews. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. There, God has a plan for the nation of Israel. Amen? And you and I should know that. Amen. God told Abraham, in the very beginning, when he first appeared to him and told him that he had a plan for his life, he said, I will bless you and I will cause you to be a great blessing. Then he went on to say, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. He said, I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. You see that over and again in his life. Every time when he, for instance, when he went to Abimelech, they started trying to abuse him, take advantage of him, and God stepped in, didn't he? Cursed those people. Cursed the very king's household. This happened in Abraham's life. Every time somebody blessed Abraham, they were blessed. Every time somebody withstood him, tried to do him evil, it didn't go well. We see it in Jacob's life, Isaac's life, Jacob's life. We see it down through the, uh, uh, the stories of the Old Testament, those nations and kings who came against Israel. And occasionally God even used certain nations to pronounce judgment as, 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 as tools or instruments of judgment against a wayward Israel. But when that was done, it still didn't go good with that nation. God used Babylon, remember? Kingdom of Babylon, but in the nighttime, there was a writing on the wall. Said, this night, your kingdom will be taken from you. And that, and, that, and that ruler was slain before the night was over. So God, God blesses those who bless Israel and he, and he uh, judges those who oppose Israel. It's important for Christians to understand this. And I read something last night. It just hit me a little, if I have time to get into this, it hit me a little differently than I've ever seen this before. 
I've, I've always noticed, have you ever had concepts, kind of an understanding in your mind, but you've never really examined it and sort of, you know, seen where it came from? It's just always been there. I, I've always had a, an understanding. It's always been uh, clear to me that there's something about being genuinely born again. Genuinely born again people. I'm not talking about the professing church. I'm talking about people who've been genuinely born again by true Bible faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Among genuinely born again people, there's a love for Israel. Have you ever noticed that? It's inherent. I think of Christopher Allen. Christopher Allen was born a Muslim. You know, he's a good friend of ours. He was born, he was taught to hate Jews more than the devil or more than anything, to hate Jews. When he got born again, there came into his heart a love for Jews. And, and just even recently, I've read some of his writings talking about Israel, how you know God, Israel is God's chosen people, don't mess with Israel. There's something that, that just happens on the inside of a person when they're born again. There is an affinity, there is a, a, a warmth, there is a, a love without even examining why it is, it just exists. Now here's the thing, go with me over, this is getting way off topic, but this is just real interesting to me. Is that all right? It has to do with what, it does, it's not really off topic. Go with me to uh, Matthew 25. I've already alluded to it because it was on my heart. It came out. So let's look at it. Matthew 25. This is when, after Jesus returns at the second advent. This is not when he comes to rapture the church. This is after the tribulation. And he comes and he, first of all, he judges and, and destroys the enemies of Israel that have surrounded Jerusalem and trying to destroy Israel and he destroys them. He judges the uh, nation of Israel but then he turns his attention to the nations. Verse number 31, when the son of man comes in his glory with all the holy angels with him, then he shall sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but, on the, goat, but, his, but the goats on his left hand. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the, now notice what this is referring. People use this scripture, unsaved people use this scripture for all kinds of stuff. Hey, do you know what I'm talking about? You know, we ought to, we ought to open our borders and just let everybody in because, you know, the, Jesus said we got to help the afflicted. You, you have to interpret scripture in light of what was going on. What was he talking about? He's talking about how the people, the, these individuals during the tribulation, the Gentiles, how they treated Israel during that time of trouble. Because they, they, they answered and they said, verse 37, then the, answer, the, the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When, when did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. This doesn't apply to just any old thing you want to apply. It doesn't, it doesn't apply just to being nice to people. It doesn't apply. It, it really has nothing to do with our conduct today, either as an individual that you go and visit people. The Bible talks about in, in the book of James visiting those who need help. This verse, this passage has nothing to do with this. This passage has all to do with what happens at the end of the tribulation period. And, there, and, the, and the nations of the world are divided like sheep and goats. And he tells the sheep, I was in trouble I was hungry, I was naked, I was sick, I was in prison and you helped me. And they said, when, when was that? He said, if you did it to the least of my brethren. He's talking about what happened during the tribulation period. And as a result, he said to them, or, or following that, he said, 
Now enter into the kingdom prepared for you. Now here, this, this brings up something really, really interesting. It would almost sound like salvation at that time is by works. But we know that can't be. We know that Jesus has paid the penalty for sin forever for all mankind for all time. So there is no such thing in the New Testament following the coming of, of, of Jesus Christ to this earth. There's no such thing as salvation through works of any kind. Right? But notice, he didn't make them sheep because of what they did. He separated the sheep from the goats before he even started talking about it. And it says that, let me find it again. Yeah, verse 33, he, he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. They've already been determined to be sheep or goats. And he said in verse 34, the king will say to those on his right hand, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then he tells them what they did. And then it says in verse number 37, then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and when did we see you thirsty and give you drink? Notice, they're already righteous. They're not righteous because of what they did. They didn't help Israel in order to make themselves righteous. They are the sheep. They are, these are believers during the, the tribulation period who come to know the Lord Jesus Christ during the tribulation and who stand with Israel. Now, this cannot be the church because the church has already been raptured out. Now, some say, well, the rapture happens at the end of the tribulation. If the rapture happened at the end of the tribulation, then there wouldn't be any righteous here. There wouldn't be any sheep left. They'd have all been raptured. The only ones left would have been the goats. There are still sheep there. That tells me that the rapture had to have happened sometime before this. People who are born again today since Jesus was raised from the dead. Every person who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ is born again and becomes part of the body of Christ, the church. When the church is called away, now, now part of the church is already in heaven and part of the church is here, but we're gonna be united. The church is gonna be called away into heaven. During the tribulation, the church is going to, to have, uh, go through a, a, a judgment. God's gonna judge the church for things that were done in the body. We don't get into all of that, it's just Bible. Then there's going to be the marriage supper of the lamb. This is gonna happen during the tribulation period. All this happens to the church. People who are saved during the tribulation, there will be people who will come out of the, we see them right here, the sheep. There will be people who will come out of the tribulation. They are saved, they are righteous, but they don't come, they, don't, they do not become part of the church. The church is a, is a distinct body and it's finished and made up completely at the time of the catching, it's catching away. These are other people who are born again during the tribulation and they still have natural bodies. They haven't died, they haven't been changed, they haven't, you know, like the church, those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, you know, will be changed and called away, will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. That's not happening to these people. These are natural people who are alive during the, dur during the tribulation, but during the tribulation, they come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They're Gentiles, and they, they are righteous because of their faith in Christ. There is no other righteousness in the New Testament. And there never will be any other righteousness available except through faith in Christ. So don't think that they got this way because they were sympathetic to the Jews. The opposite is true. They were sympathetic. They will be sympathetic to the Jews and try to help them because they're born again. It's inherent in the heart of Christians, true Christians. There is an inherent love for Israel. During the tribulation period, you will have to know God to be willing to support Israel because it could very well cost you your life. 
because all of the forces of this world are going to be anti. You think there's anti-Semitism now. You think there's an anti-Israel uh, contingency. You can see it in world politics. This, 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 this uh, 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 cauldron of hatred just brewing and growing in, in, in the nations of the world and the people of the world. And, it's, and it's, it's raising its head in our own nation. That, that it, it's, it is small compared to what it's going to be during the tribulation. It'll seem like the whole world has come down. And Christians, you'd have to be saved to visit a Jew in prison. You'd have to be saved to feed him, clothe him, and help him. The point I'm making is they, they, they were sheep and they were goats. Jesus divided, and they went on, we didn't read it, we went on, if you read on, you'll find out that the goats on his, left, on his left hand, he said, you didn't help me at all. You didn't, see, you didn't visit me. You didn't feed me. You didn't clothe me. You know. And they said, well, when, when did we not do these things? He said, when you didn't do it to my brethren. So the, so the Gentiles in this world who do not stand with Israel during the, old, during, during the tribulation, that's not what makes them goats. They're already goats. They're already unsaved. It's a fruit of not being saved. It is the result of not being saved. I said all that to say this, which I've already said, but I, I, I use this to show you that there is, I use the word inherent. I don't know of a better word. There is an inherent uh, uh, love on the inside of people who are born again for the nation of Israel, even though Israel's in unbelief, even though they oppose Christ. It's one of the underpinnings of our, underpinnings of our nation. Our nation has always been uh, a nation of Christians. Now, early on, there was still a lot of anti-Semitism in the United States of America. It's existed in certain uh, cultures and people in our nation from the very beginning. But because Christianity was so strong, those who really love God and know God and are born again, there's, there's always been this strong standing for the Jewish people. In 1948, when Israel declared its independence, within hours, just a few hours, President Truman, 1948, was one of the first, he made a declaration, a presidential declaration declaring the United States recognizes the sovereignty of the nation. We were one of the first nations on the earth to do that. And then others came in. It was by presidential decree, he declared it so. He declared the United States recognizes and supports Israel. And the United States has been the strongest Israel, the strongest ally of Israel of any nation in the world. God, there, uh, since 1948, for the next at least two or three decades, the United States experienced unbelievable blessing and prosperity. It wasn't just because the war was over and the machinery of, of industry of war was turned to the... It was, it was all of those things come together, but it was because the United States, United States took a stand for Israel and God will bless those who bless Abraham. Now in the last 30 years or so, we have seen a, an ongoing eroding of the United States support of Israel. Though we are still their strongest ally. And though we still are behind them, you, you, over the last several, not just two or three, last several administrations, there have been increasing demands by the Arab states and those who are sworn to Israel destruction. Increasing demands that Israel give up more and give up more and make concessions. And the United States, to our, our fault, has gone along with a lot of these things. We've supported, we've given in, our, our support for Israel has weakened and there have been cracks in it and we, have, and we have gradually stepped aside and sided with their enemies. No, you can't have the West Bank. No, you can't have this. No, you know, it's, it's been going on for several 
years now, 20 or 30 years, it's been getting worse and worse. It, this tendency reached its apex during the last administration. But that's turning around. I'm telling you, God stands in heaven. He has an archangel watching over Israel. There is a plan for Israel. God has a future for Israel. And people who turn their back on, on Israel are reflecting the spirit of this age. Because if you are a born-again Christian, if you search your heart, there is, a, there is an inherent support and love for Israel. And if you are, if you are yielding to the, to the political winds of this, of this world that are chastising Israel. Listen, Israel's not always right. They were not always right in the Old Testament. God still kicked everybody's behind that tried to bother them. Isn't that right? I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, God does not play fair. There's nothing in the Bible that says God plays fair. He has a plan, he has an agenda, and he will pursue it. And it will come to pass. And in the end, he will exalt righteousness and put down all sin. And it's, it's imperative that the United States of America stand with Israel. Well, amen. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.